The Trek Files, Season 7, Episode 7, Star Trek 4 Comments, December 9th, 1985. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, Star Trek fans, all you Star Trek historians, all of our canonistas, hey, I say that lovingly now. <laughs> hey, you tech heads in Trek, of course, and most of all, all of our official Trekophiles, spelled with an F. Another great episode for you this week. Uh, we are diving into the Star Trek IV era. So it's the mid-80s. We're diving into the early Star Trek IV era. So we're going to look at this memo, this letter this week from December 1985. And if you don't know what I mean by memo, you must be new to the Trek Files. Because our veteran Trekophiles know to go check out the Documents of the Week over at our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. We post this this one several pages long. You'll have a lot of fun with this one. Go check that out. Meanwhile, stay tuned here, though. We're going to have a little excerpt from that, and then I'll be right back with this week's guest. Page 23, scene 46. Kirk, sounds like my answering device on Earth. Cute line, appeals to our technology today, but doubt very much that there will be telephone answering machines in use three centuries from now. Page 28, scene 52. Kirk, I know that sound, it's whale song. Since when would he be that familiar with the sounds of an extinct species? It would be like us today recognizing the cries of the dodo bird instantly.
Okay, Trekophiles, uh, that was a bit of a tease because our guest this week is one of the names on that memo. Yes, I'm talking about, I'm so thrilled to have back at the show. Hey, she's a teacher, she's an author, she is a children's author, she is a celebrant in the humanist tradition. She's Susan Sackett, Gene Roddenberry's longtime executive assistant and the person who wrote this memo. And I am so thrilled to have you back with us, Susan. And hey, for just a secretary, this is a pretty power memo here you've written on this early draft script. Oh, okay. By then, I think I was uh, an assistant <laughs> instead of a secretary. I know. I'm totally but kidding. I do have a long resume. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That was a long list of, of things that I've done. That, yeah. Oh, who cares about the resume? You said Gene just shoved it in his drawer when you went in for the job. So there you that, go. That is true. That is true. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Never looked at it again. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you in all your years with Gene, we st- you, like you said, you, you were hired with him before he even had the contract to do the first Star Trek movie. He had just done Quester. Um, and you, you were working with him at home before he even had an office back on the lot. And we've gone from those days and, and the back and forth of the first movie, what it would be, is it on, is it off, is Gene have a say or not? Uh, then we have the motion picture. And then this is about Star Trek Four, but I wonder, I, I want to talk about this and it's a lot of fun and it's obviously an early draft, but Gene's journey through the 80s, I mean, the 70s had been all about um, his college tours and spreading the story of, of he and Star Trek's relationship, and sometimes I call it the guruification of Gene. But then it was quite a come down when he, got, he was basically demoted after the, first, uh, after the motion picture, and a lot of that is studio politics and him being blamed for things beyond his control. But what was that like to be with Gene as he wrote ups and downs and found his footing going forward as the executive consultant on these movies? It was very difficult for him. Um, they kicked us off the lot after the first film because mm. they rejected his script and uh, they didn't see any need to have him there uh, while they searched for somebody who could do it better. Haha. And uh, so we took an office that was over on Fairfax in um, Los Angeles. Ironically, it was um, owned by a friend of his. He, he had turned a home into several offices one of whom was the late Richard Donner, who had just mm. um, passed away last week, I think. And so I got to meet him, which was exciting, but it wasn't exciting for Gene. Uh, he wanted to be, you know, doing something on the lot. He, you know, he might as well have been at his home, but at least he had an office and, and an address and a place to sit and think and ponder and um, try to come up with what he thought would be, you know, a better script. I mean, he was always trying to improve himself and improve upon what they wanted, but uh, he also did things that he wanted for himself. I mean, if, if he didn't care for something, he didn't hold back and not tell you. <laughs> and this particular script for Star Trek Four, I think by then we were back on the lot. I mean, we'd been off the lot for two and maybe back on for three. And yeah, he, I mean, he had carved back out of, he just kind of made it force of will, right? His position to take that executive consultant kind of nugget they threw at him, but he really fleshed that out to where they could not ignore his force of nature. Yeah, no, and I think it was in his contract and that he always referred back to that. That was right. his, his um, ace. So well, some people take a contract but, like that and just kind of slink away, but not Gene. He's going to enforce it no, to the full bore no. of, you're not getting rid of me because I really am still Star Trek. And the fans yeah. know that I am right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he would say that. I am Star Trek. And um, people criticized him for that. But 
That is absolutely true without his keeping it alive. I mean, he, he did so much behind the scenes that people weren't aware, you know, and getting fan letters answered and cared about and, and going to conventions and giving speeches. And he did a lot to keep Star Trek going and never got the credit for it. Other people were trying to take credit. Oh, I did Star Trek. No, I did Star Trek. No, Gene did Star Trek. And that was, uh, you know, a bone of contention. But anyway, we were back on the lot and we're, we're talking about this. this um, right. This is this is know. the third Star Trek. Uh, this is the third Hard Bennett movie. What I'm so it's yeah. he's, he's yeah. kind of Star Trek. He's four, made himself. Yeah. yeah. So you're doing this is memos to Gene that he's going to turn around, I suppose, and, and throw back at the yeah, no, scripts. I'm just a lowly secretary at this point in, in everybody's eyes except mine and his and maybe a few others who understood, you know, things. And he probably asked some of the other people on staff for their opinions, too. Like, maybe. I, I, I'm not sure, and it's been a long time, um, but I'm pretty sure he would have asked John Poville for his input. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think of who I else think he, would have I think occasionally he would get to maybe some feedback from Richard Arnold. Richard, possibly, yeah. yes, absolutely. And Richard, bless his soul, he's gone. But um, anyway, uh, Richard would have known exactly not only when these were written, but but what color the chair was that the person who wrote it was sitting in. I mean, this man had uh, incredible mind. That's, and that's uh, right. Well, we have the we have the paper. We've got the date, and we've got you right now and and yeah. as you said a lot of these things without having the full script to refer to may lose a little bit of their power but we do know i mean that would be an enormity but we do know what the movie looked like eventually and we can understand some of these are just line readings and it's the it's the kind of thing that yeah. again outside writers coming in to write a script slip up on those star trek touches and trying to keep it true to i mean you know it, it may have been annoying gene over here giving this these little nicky nitpicky you know, comments and notes, but those are the things that kept so much of Star Trek true, even when it was a movie made by other people every couple of years, wouldn't you say? Right, and yeah, yeah no, and he had his um, his ideas and things that it needed to be, to be true Star Trek. Um, it was, uh, you know, his, his child, his creation, and he wanted to keep it on track. I mean, if, if you look at this memo, and I hope everybody will take a, a glance at it and see, um, there are just so many things that were incorrect. And I don't know whose draft this was. I don't know whether it was one from Harf Bennett or if it was someone else. Um, but it's obviously that they're not a, a, a Trekkie or a Trekker, you know, where they say things like, you know, fire the rockets. Yeah, the retro <laughs> rockets. rockets. Yeah. <laughs> Retro yeah. rockets, yeah. It's, it's right. a Mercury capsule, not the not the Enterprise, what it, or vice versa. <laughs> oh, and I think there was one where it talked about answering machines that mm-hmm. they called Earth, and they got they got somebody's answering device. <laughs> this is like three centuries. People don't even have those now. I mean, right. Was, well, on the second was, page, there's a note here. I think a lot of fans remember that at one point, of course, Star Trek IV begins on Vulcan as they bring back the captured bird of prey and run into the storm with the whale probe and all that plot gets going. But in the beginning, mm-hmm. it was going to be a story point that Savick was pregnant, presumably with, you know, <laughs> Spock, the, the, the rapidly re-evolving Spock's proto-matter child. Um, and so I like this, try keeping Savick's pregnancy secret, but the fans will love it. <laughs> yeah, well, that 
kind of got lost on the way anyway. So um, yeah, that was another another thing. And then um, Sarek was be, uh, becoming a superhero every time they needed something. Oh, he'll know. We'll call him. You know, Sarek. Just trying to keep the is uh, yeah and uh, yeah. Well, some of these terms are astral lights. Um, astral lights. Yeah. Yes. Well, where was astral that? lights of Marianne. Mary yes. Marianne, yeah, that was weird too. I was must have been someone's um, mother or girlfriend or something. And then they had solar emergency band, whatever that is, and uh, just all kinds of strange things going on um, that were not Star Trek. But somebody thought, oh, and they, they talked about nautical miles instead of kilometer. I mean, nautical miles in space. Right. Well, um, it's, on one hand, it sounds like you're doing a little bit of the job that Kellum DeForest would have done, uh, you know, Joan Pierce later on, on the series scripts. Right. Those kinds of little, those little things that seem little and tiny, but when they pile up, they just take away from it being, you know, the Star Trek universe. We had, um, but then again, we've got some of these bigger concepts, like our, our audio selection was uh, <laughs> things like, you know, just throwing out terms like the largest brains in the universe, the largest brain mass in the oh. universe, and and uh, come on, yeah, the whole universe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep our scale here. Let's keep our scale here, uh, and being right. put here. Yeah, that was strange about why the whales were put here. I mean, what they were flown in from somewhere, or <laughs> they were magically created. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, well, so I, I, you know, these are just little picky things. Yes, but, but this is part of the process, right? Right. Right, and you have to do that. You have to tear things apart. And I'm sure other people have had equally um, interesting comments on the uh, same same version of the script. I don't know which version this was, unfortunately, but it can't be too close to when it actually went into production. I mean, it can't be too far from when it into production. It was uh, dated in Denver. December of '85. Right. The film was released in '86. Right. So. They were shooting in the spring and and summer, and uh, even I think, uh, yeah, they they even they were so excited with it by summer by the rough cuts that they moved up the the. Uh, that was a big thing at the time. They moved it up a week on the release date that fall, like into the holidays. Oh. I think in the middle of November. There's another one here that caught my eye too. This original draft actually had the F word. Oh right, yes, the F word. Um, you know, people were were just not even thinking of of ratings or any of that. And they've, I think today you can get away with maybe one F word, and they won't mm -hmm. change it from a PG, thirteen. Uh, youngsters are more sophisticated, maybe, or they're exposed to it from the cradle, really. But uh, it was uh, it was n not necessary. And whoever wrote this draft thought, oh, I'll put that in and make it em emphatic. Uh, no, <laughs> they can't do that. Or you would end up getting an R rating, and that limits your audience. So you have to watch those things back then. And today, s still, I think the, uh, I don't know what you call them, the people that give the R rating. Uh, yeah, the ratings uh, board, whatever. Board, yeah, the, the MPA. Whatever they're MPAA, called. Whatever. Yeah, there's a name for it. MPA, yeah. yeah. Motion picture or something, something. Um, and, uh, you know, but they were terrified of that. So uh, just all these little things that people weren't paying attention to. Um, well, you know, what what who are what are our characters like? Mm -hmm. um, it's a miracle these people ever got out of the 20th century. Um was a line given to Spock, and, and it doesn't sound like something Spock would say. It's very sarcastic. Right, right. 
Well, you know, you're, like you're talking, you said like, we don't have a script to compare these notes to, but it's obvious just reading these notes from this, from this side of the, of the mirror, it's obvious that these went away. It's obvious that it was a good point to, to point yeah. all these things <laughs> out. It's obvious to point out, I love how even in 1986, you're worried that people won't know what an Excedrin headache was. Exactly. Much less, I don't think, much less 35 yeah. years later. We're going to a lot yeah. of people. Well, people are going to go, what was that? Yeah. But even back then, I mean, that was like, what, in the 60s or yeah. something? Yeah. I have an Excedrin headache number two or whatever they Yeah, that whole say. ad campaign for Excedrin. Right, right, right. And it was a good punchline for a while, but they were giving, giving away a little bit of like that. I, I, you know, again, this is part of the process. And um, um for yeah. people that know the Star Trek IV story really closely, these are little. A lot of these are just little, uh, a little character moments. Little uh, some of these things like you know, Cedron headache and the f bomb. But you can see the way yeah. it's being carved. You can see that someone's paying attention to the, the subtext and the characters. And in this case, and Gene's taking mm-hmm. notes and making his own. But in this case, that someone mm-hmm. is you, and you were in the seat. You were in the, in a good place well, to be providing all that. Yeah, I mean, I, Gene, Gene would listen to me a lot on comments. Um, as I said on, on one of these episodes, um, I was the one that was able to change in the next generation from where no man has gone before to where no one has gone before. And Gene said, I don't see the difference. And I had to explain to him uh, that you have to be a little bit more inclusive. It's not just where no man has gone before. And he was having trouble with that because in that generation that he came from, um, people weren't as aware mm-hmm. and they're still not quite there yet, in my opinion, but they're getting there that, um, you know, women are, are human too. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you can't just say we're no man or this man. Or well, it was whatever. the, it was so, the usage in English that man just stood in for everyone, like mankind. Right. And now we say humanity, man. not mankind, but you know, yeah, and even exactly. like all the descriptions, and I don't mean uh, steward, stewardess, but I mean like uh, set decorators. You know, the lead man. Yeah. Well, now it's you know they they had right. man in titles Person. and job titles and all that whole mindset. Um, yeah, and, and SAG I think is even trying to get one generic term actor instead of actor and actress or, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like executor and executrix <laughs> or A- aviator and exactly aviatrix. exactly I <laughs> or, love you know it's just crazy yeah, yeah. some uh, of those yeah i it's a woman uh looking after my will in the state now not a man and that's a big difference right 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 um <laughs> right yeah well it's it's again you're in that chair you're in that place and it's the centennial year of gene's birth and this is about your notes to him on a script he didn't write, but you're up here trying to uphold Star Trek's continuity in between the times. And what's amazing is also, this is December 85, and we wouldn't know it, but just what, six, eight months later, Gene would be very much back in the in the driver's seat with you right there, when Next Generation gets to come back to school. Right. Right. right, and that went into development, and it took uh, about a year to get back on TV. So, and nobody foresaw what was going to come after that, including Gene, because uh, we did that. We did a couple movies. Uh, we did season after season of Next Generation, and you know, it wasn't. Uh, nobody thought there would be a Deep Space Nine or a Voyager or any of those. And now, 
I can't even count how many things there are now, but uh, it's taken on a life of its own. Well, listen, uh, Susan, we've got more here in in your saga, in your saga with Gene. Let's can I can I please talk you into coming back and let's talk a little more about one of these aspects. Yeah, I can try to do that. <laughs> I was hoping you would say that because there, there's a lot more okay. we can cover, and I and I hope we can cover a little bit more of it next time we have you back. So thank you so much. Okay, thank you. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Hey, now all of our documents and your chance to comment, please do, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, that's me, and Portal 47 at larrynemachek.com. And hey, check out all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at the Trekland shop at tpublic.com slash stores slash trekland hyphen shop. <laughs> Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.